The last word on sport on Today FM. With Carlsberg, official beer partner of the FAI. Probably the best partnership in the world. Get the facts, be drink aware, visit drinkaware.ie. Martin O'Neill, great to see you in studio. First time we've had you in the last word studio. Mm. Twice I've interviewed you before on stage each time with Roy Keane. So it's great to have you on your own without Roy Keane uh, present. Isn't it nice not to have him around? <laughs> you got on remarkably well. And you know what always struck me at the times, and the last time I was on the stage in the Cork Opera House in 2016, mm-hmm. just before going to the European yes. Championships, he was remarkably deferential to you. Well, I know I probably had told him to be. And uh, yeah, some character, isn't he really? You know, he's... he's um, but he clearly had an enormous respect for you and he also had a respect, I got the impression, for the fact that you were the boss, that he wasn't the main man and he wanted everyone to see that, that he knew his place. Uh, well, that's that's very kind of you to say so. I think that um, I think that, that's, that must be a real difficulty for someone who has managed and, and uh, he had been a club manager at, at both uh, Sunderland and at Ipswich. But I, I'm not saying it was a pact that we made, but uh, it was um, packed. Not the correct word. Um, it was um, we'd we'd done a little bit of punditry work together when uh, in the uh, Champions League way back quite some time ago, by two thousand and twelve perhaps. And we thought if there was ever an international job that might appear, would we have an interest in working together? And, um, yeah, it was almost casually talked about. Then Trapattoni leaves and uh, the opportunity to come and uh, manage the Republic of Ireland, which was a great privilege for me. And uh, I said, would you have any interest in being the assistant, knowing the difficulties that might lie ahead? And uh, so he just said, yeah, absolutely, I'll absolutely go with that. And um, and so it went off from there. Not for one minute, uh, way back in 2012, would I have really known Roy, but I just thought that, I thought that him coming into England, or sorry, coming back to Ireland, I should say, from England, and actually getting hold of some of those younger players who would have revered him. You know, I'm talking about the likes of Robbie Brady and uh, Jeff Hendrick and people like this here. And he wasn't that far removed them in terms of a generation. I thought that that perhaps would work. And I think he thought it would work as well too. But then you have your, you have your, your, your own conversations when players are no longer there. And this is when you get to know him a little bit and and uh, not for one minute would you ever think you, you know Roy Keane, but he is unbelievably self-effacing about things, you know. And sometimes, you know, the, the image portrayed there on TV, you know, as if, you know, almost growling across and looking at, uh, at other people. Uh, I, th- that's not the one that I see, but Roy can be a, a number of things that he wants to be. There's a story in your book on days like these, My Life in Football, which you have just published, which got me thinking of Roy as well, because you famously played in the 1980 European Cup final against Hamburg for Nottingham Forest to win. Mm -hmm. A year after, you had missed out on selection Mm -hmm. for the victory. 20 years later, Roy Keane missed out on a European Cup final because he was suspended. He didn't get the chance again like you got a year later. No, that's that's remarkable, isn't it, really, for a player of that of that calibre not to do. And you know what? I think that he would have had exactly the same sort of feelings that I, that I had. In 1979, I did not, I was a substitute in the game, had not trained for three weeks before the final, whether I would have played or not, uh, another point. And when you, when you don't take the field in a game, you don't feel any part of it, even though you might have 
might have played a significant part in rounds before that. If you're not in, playing in the final, you're certainly not part of that. And uh, and Roy, Roy would remarkably, I think that Roy would have missed the 1999 European Cup final anyway because he got injured in the FA Cup final a few days before that. And I don't think he would have been fit, but he was suspended, wasn't he? He and yeah. Paul Cole, uh, Paul Scholes were, were, uh, were suspended at the time. But as you say, remarkable that he has never got another chance. And you would have thought with Manchester United and the sort of team that but they But I'm had. fascinated by, you know, this, this cliche, there's no I in team, to which mm-hmm. people say there is an M <clears throat> and there is an E. Mm-hmm. But if you've contributed, like you did with Nottingham Forest, you know, all over the years mm. and coming through with under Brian Clough winning the league in 78, mm. getting to the final in 79 and yet feeling distant for something from something that you were a part of mm. as a substitute. Mm. Sort of, then how did you bring that to how you handled players as a manager having gone through that disappointment yourself? Did that make you in any way less ruthless as a manager or more accepting of what you had to do? Okay, uh, it's a very good point. I think that um, if I, I assume or, or, or possibly did assume that most players would feel the same as I did as a player when if they had if they were not participating in the in the final of the competition, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was manager of Leicester or sorry of Aston Villa. We had a, um, and we got to the League Cup final against Manchester United. In all the rounds leading up to that, I had a substitute goalkeeper at the time with two goalkeepers, two Americans, Brad Friedel and Brad Guzan, a youngish lad. His performances in earlier rounds, particularly at the Stadium of Light when he stopped absolutely everything, uh, were fantastic, absolutely fantastic. In the semi-finals against Blackburn Rovers, he didn't do so well, really did not do so well. So I'm now left in a predicament. Had... Had the final been immediately after Sunderland, he would have played. But I had to leave him out of the game because he he didn't he wasn't up for it in the semi-final or didn't play well enough in the semi-final. And I've gone for more experience in Brad Friedel. So t- dealing with him, I found that really difficult, really difficult indeed because he had been so, so good. He brings his family over from America as well too. They're probably expecting him to play and now suddenly he's sitting in the bench. I'm quite sure that glum face that was belonged to me in 1979 probably belonged to him as well too in uh, 2010. But it was something you felt you had to do. Absolutely. And that's what management's about. Talk to me more about being the Republic of Ireland manager because I was quite taken in reading through the book and quite shocked as well that you felt not entirely accepted as the Irish manager, particularly by parts of the media, as if you were an other. Mm. And that brought me to the whole thing about, you know, the sort of the partitionist mentality we might have in the country because the early part of your book is full of things like the joy of being a child coming down to Croke Park for an All-Ireland final Mm -hmm. when your brother was a sub in the Mm -hmm. Derry team. An upbringing which is very Irish. Mm -hmm. And yet... When you got the job as Irish manager, you felt you were regarded as an outsider. Why? Right. Okay. Well, I, I think that a lot to do. I, I mean, I'm I'm not blameless in these situations. I, I think some of the criticism that was was levelled at me by uh, by some of the Irish media, I felt that uh, was a little bit off the mark. For instance, when they were saying that uh, that I uh, wanted to be the most clever person in the room, which uh, simply not. Absolutely not. You know, I, I I think I know my place in that. So, but sometimes to make assumptions about you, I think they felt that there there was an arrogance about me, 
uh, I think that, that this is the point. Long and the short of it, we really did not hit it off. I didn't get the I didn't get the Irish media, and they didn't get me in that aspect. My job with the Republic of Ireland was to try and qualify for the for the Euros. That was my job. The only way that I was guaranteed of getting another contract to have a crack at the at the World Cup qualification matches was to make it to France. I. Uh, and that's fine, absolutely fine. That's what I wanted to do. If if I, if I can't make it, then I walk away. But my, all my all my thoughts were on it were thinking about Jack Charlton. Jack Charlton's years were fantastic, and when he was coming back from these tournaments, you know, to see the thousands and thousands of people, you know, thronged around the around, around the city centre, you know, even at the airport waiting for it. And I thought I would love to recapture some of those days if it was at all possible. When we qualified. Uh, and then played in France, and our opening game was against uh, was against Sweden. You know, and we had about twenty twenty five thousand people there in France in a different country supporting the team. I I, I I couldn't have been more proud. I really could not have been more proud. There was a disintegration then of of um, of my relationship with the press, and the reason. And here, allow me to defend myself for four or five seconds. We were we were playing in the in the World Cup qualifying games. We were four seeds in the group, but we make it to a playoff. We actually were through to a playoff. We're one, we're two games away from possibly going to Russia, and that would have been could have been a second successive uh, qualification. And we we drew the first game in Copenhagen against Denmark. We got thrashed in the second game. I have no problem taking the criticism. You know, criticism as substitutes, whatever the case may be. As the manager, you accept that. I I thought there was almost like a night pouring of vitriol, and it looked as if it was being just you know, uh, like like within someone's body, and it's like it's, it's almost like well we're going for it, we're going to give it to him, and you know, to, and to be asked uh, that evening was that a sackable offence to lose that particular game? You know, was a, a you know a qualifying game for the sorry a playoff game for the for the World Cup. I felt, and it wasn't just the the person who said it to me. I felt that that was the viewpoint within the Irish media, and of course, then from then on, it's really gone down. So, do you think that that reflected the public's view? No, I, I no, it didn't. It actually didn't. And the number of uh, listen, I'm not saying because you meet. 300 people in the next couple of years or something like this who said, listen, we really, really loved uh, going to France and things like this here. And that Sorry, the night in Lansdowne Road when Germany were beaten by Shane Long's goal was one of the best nights I've ever been in Lansdowne Road Honestly, for. Honestly, that's... And do you know, funny enough, I loved that night, but I, 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 if you're asking me for a night at Lansdowne Road, it was Bosnia, you know, when there was a finality about when we'd actually, on that final whistle went and we'd actually qualified for France it was really fantastic. No, getting back to your point, I don't think that this was um, uh, was something that, that, that the Irish crowded. I'm going to tell you something. We, in my, in my last season there, we, we played really badly, really badly. We know we drew two games against Denmark and lost two games against, uh, against Wales and whatever sort of other friendly games were being played. Honestly, we did not play well. I deserve all the criticism in the world for that there. But I felt, I felt as, as if to say every poor performance was something that they would be, uh, that we'd be hammering you with. Can I ask you about Irish identity? Mm-hmm. Because you grew up in a GAA household in yep. Derry, as I've mentioned, and you ended up as manager of the Republic of Ireland team. But you also spent a lengthy period playing for Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And you were the captain of the team in the 1982 World Cup, which was tremendous success for Northern Ireland. 
There's an identity developing now, people identifying themselves as Northern Irish mm-hmm. rather than Irish or mm-hmm. British. Yeah. How would you identify yourself? I would be, I'd definitely be Northern Irish, you know, Nor- Northern Irish in that sense. All my time as, uh, as my family, steeped in Irish traditions, steeped in a Gaelic, Gaelic background. My brother's playing for Derry. Um, um, my older brother playing for Derry in the All-Ireland final in 1958, or at least coming on as a sub as an 18-year-old player. Fantastic. And and when I was growing up in the north, you look lovingly across at the south and you want to, uh, and you really feel as if, you know, that that's possibly your homeland over there. And your views change during the time. My daughter's views change, you know. And I think it came from the, the real severe criticism that I got here. On a, on a daily basis in the last uh, in the last um, year or so of my my time here, and even now my two daughters are saying, "Dad, how would you ever want to be associated there?" And that's true. You know, they took it incredibly badly. So they were now, born in England and brought up in England, weren't they? They were actually, in Scotland. They were actually no. They no. were. I brought. I I obviously we didn't know um, what sex they were going to be, so. I had both children, or sorry, my wife and I, we went over to Northern Ireland. Both of them were born in Northern Ireland, have lived less than 10 days of their lives in Northern Ireland, but both were born there. I, just in case they were um, they were going to be fellows, you know, or something like this here, and then they could uh, have a choice. This, this was in the days before women's football became much bigger. And it's, it's that, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I should clear that. Absolutely right. Exactly. No. So, yeah, it's funny you should say this, that my daughter... My daughter, um, my younger daughter, is heavily in now to uh, thinking about her own child here, uh, been uh, talking about uh, um, women's football, you know. so. But it's Northern Irish thing because that 1982 team, 40 years old mm-hmm. to think about it, but also at the height of the Troubles, that team... You were the captain of, which was mm-hmm. a big thing for Billy Bingham to do as a Protestant mm-hmm. manager. And the team broke down very much a mix of Catholics and Protestants mm-hmm. playing together for Northern Ireland. Yeah. But yet, did you get the support at the time, even in Northern Ireland, from the nationalist Catholic community? Uh, yeah, well, again, I, OK, I, I think I'd be right in saying that the the majority of the Irish Catholic community would still have been supporting the South. That we weren't in the, in the World no, Cup in 82. I, but I meant in general. Yes. I meant yes. in general. Uh, they would be supporting the South, you know, and um, but there were there were a number. I had some of my particular friends who who um, were really keen on supporting Northern Ireland, and they would be Catholics. Now myself, I had obviously a little bit of difficulty. Um, first Irish Catholic to be to be captain of the team. Billy Bingham did make a big decision at that time. He could have had an easier life. He could have chosen other people. But I think because of my experiences with Nottingham Forest in Europe at that time. And perhaps, as he said himself, he thought that I was a, a reasonable communicator maybe to the players and I could maybe get the messages that he wanted across to the... And I think, you know, I think just being captain of the team was great. But he did say to me he would accept, he'll accept some criticism or he will get some criticism, but he said it will all die down, he said, when we, if we start to win matches. And it, and it really did. Which I think made it very disappointing for a lot of people the way that the memory of Billy Bingham will be that game in 1993 in Windsor Park when the Republic had to get mm-hmm. a result to qualify for the World Cup. And the way that he whipped up the crowd mm-hmm. almost into a sectarian yeah. frenzy yeah. was very, very disappointing mm-hmm. to many people. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't there at the time, you know, and obviously I hear those things. I can only make it a, a, a judgment on Billy Bingham, 
hoping in that I thought that I knew and and and, and think I did. And uh, Billy Bingham made a big decision to make me captain for a start. As I said to you, an easier life for him elsewhere, and uh, and I probably would have been accepting of that. But um, uh, yeah, that's that 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 might rankle with a lot of people, and I don't know enough about it. And that you say it looks as if he was whipping the crowd into a, a real frenzy. But sometimes I think you know that at the time when uh, the Republic were just about to qualify by getting the result to qualify as well too. And of course, the last thing you want to do is, the, is your, your counterpart uh, doing well and you're not doing so well. So maybe he possibly thought, and I, I don't know this for certain because I've never spoken to him since then, um, maybe he thought that whipping the crowd into some sort of frenzy and I know that maybe that, that, uh, that they could get the victory. We have so many All-Ireland sporting teams, rugby, hockey, cricket, whatever. Would you like to see an All-Ireland football team? I don't... Uh, right, OK. When I was... Um, again, we'll go back to about 1982. And um, if you think then, you know, we, we Northern Ireland, got to the, uh, the quarterfinals of the World Cup with the side that we had, that we were strong, we were stoic, we were a lot of things. But can you imagine adding the likes of a, a Liam Brady and a Frank Stapleton to that at the time, you know? so that, that We should and, have been there in 82. We were cheated well, out of it by I, the referees. I, I, we had the best ever Republic of I, Ireland absolutely, team. Absolutely. But add you and Pat Jennings yeah. and others into the team, well, Norman Whiteside, and, and, could have won the damn thing. Yeah. And I think because of that, I think that there was a, a, a big outcry at that time. Do you know I think that that has lessened somewhat in, in, in recent years? Uh, perhaps because the two the two nations now at this minute in terms of football are are almost quite similar, you know. And you couldn't you couldn't say, well, listen, if we were a, if we were an All Ireland team, we'd be able to get X number of players from him and make us better. I just think they're they're much of a muchness at the moment. That's that's my view, but I might be wrong. But in terms of in ter- well, we could have you know it would have but been nice. But wouldn't it be great to have cross community team? I mean, do you see it as a way that could actually help break down political barriers as well? Well, I, I mean, you asked the very question. The, 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 uh, the rugby side has been united for a long, long time. And look how brilliant, well, at this minute, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't work out this way. But, uh, the, you know, they, they could go very, very close to winning the, the, world, the world championship, you know. And uh, so they are very, very strong. Again, just getting back to the point, and and maybe it's me. Maybe 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 I'm not thinking um, uh, so strongly about it now as I, I might have done maybe about uh, 25 years ago. But uh, I I wouldn't disagree with you. A couple of other things in relation to that, and a number of players from the north now opt to play for the republic mm-hmm. if they're from a nationalist background. Do you agree with that? Um, well, those are the rules. I know they're the rules, but do you think should players or should they actually represent where they're living or should they be looking to, instead of looking south of the border, to represent their aspirational country? OK, right. That, that rule did not, did not exist when I, when I was growing playing, up, yeah. when I was playing. And again, as I said to you, as a growing up, you're looking across and thinking, you know, the grass is really yeah. green in the Republic at the time, you know, from the background that we were in. But, um, but now... I think that um, there's, it's the rules there. It will, and there will be players. There will be players from certain areas of the north that would that would really want to play for the Republic of Ireland. 
See, I'm thinking of James McLean, for example, yeah. who you gave his debut to at Sunderland yep. and he made a brilliant breakthrough. Mm. You have a line in the book where you mention about the fact that he was the subject of controversy mm. over we're not refusing to wear the poppy. Mm. You don't express any opinion on his decision, which fascinated me. Did you have an opinion as to whether he should or shouldn't? Oh, well, I, th- I think that James McLean was exceptionally brave to do that. Absolutely. I, I, I didn't realise that I hadn't uh, expressed the opinion on it. Uh, James, uh, James at the time, and I remember, it, we, I think it was we were playing Everton and he didn't want to wear the poppy. Now, the poppy has a, a certain significance in his, in his, uh, in his background, and, and as, we, as we all know at the time. Now, what James did was exceptionally brave because what happened then after that, not only was he being booed by opposition fans, his whole career at Sunderland, Turned because the the home crowd started to boo him, and subsequent career for any clubs he's gone since. Absolutely right, absolutely right. In fact, you know, I know you could say sometimes he's he's actually had to maybe even leave clubs because because of the the abuse he gets for it. But McLean McLean has a uh, McLean has a bravery uh, that belong, belongs entirely to him. But how about the way he's treated then? Should the FA and the Football League have given him more protection? Because if a player was to be subjected to racist mm-hmm. abuse, uh, uh, but it's all right to have a go at James McLean for expressing his opinion and not wanting absolutely. to wear the poppy. I'm, I'm with you, totally with you, absolutely. But Did you are not going to. You can, you can, you can make some demands of, of, of football crowds. You can. You're not going to stop it. You're not going to be able to, you are definitely not going to stop it. But I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. Were you ever the subject of anti-Irish discrimination in your career, particularly back in the 1970s, given that you had joined Nottingham Forest around the time of Bloody Sunday? Well, do you remember, do you, do you remember their the, the, the troubles were rife, obviously? Yeah. And, and then when, uh, uh, during the 70s, then when they came to Britain, you know, when the bombings came to Britain, then you would have been, uh, uh, the, um, you would have been getting... Uh, a lot of a, a lot of comments, a lot of a lot of shouts from the crowd as well too at the time, and uh, and you, I don't think for one minute that I would have had a, a status at that stage that 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 pushed you above that. For instance, like a maybe a like a Pat Jennings, for instance, you know Pat Jennings would have been considered you know just a great goalkeeper. No one no one would have been giving him stick. But you know when you drop down the scale a little bit to me trying to make the grade. Halfway through, uh, halfway through 1974, 75, 76, in those days, yeah, you would have taken a bit of abuse. You know, I must, I must go back and, I must go back and uh, tell those people how naughty they were for giving me stick. It does, <laughs> does make me laugh now about the, about the anti-racism, you know, and um, I know when you've received it years and years ago. But uh, listen, you, you, you get over that and, uh, and, and fight on. One final thing. Will you watch all the World Cup? Do you know, I can't get my head around it at the moment. That's the time of year it's on. It is absolutely. Yeah, I can't get my... But I suppose the minute I get, in, that I get into it, I, I, I probably will. I mean, there's not too many World Cups that I've missed. And um, Who will you I be re- shouting for? Oh, who would I be shouting for? In the, in would you the, like to see England win it? Uh, would I like to see England win the World Cup? Can, uh, right. Um, well, I suppose... England might not be my first choice in terms of uh, of, of wanting to win. I, I maybe maybe I would like because he's he's almost at the end of his career. I would like maybe Messi to win the World Cup to you know uh, because people say that he cannot compare to Maradona because Maradona I agree probably won the World Cup on his own in 1986. 
but Messi's one of the great players of all time. So perhaps maybe I'd be Argentina. And uh, but uh, uh, you're not for, saying that about Ronaldo in Portugal. I I do I personally I I, I think I don't think uh, they're strong enough. Again, Ronaldo. But uh, well, yeah. I mean, he's had a really good time because they won the Euros. They won yeah. the Euros a few years, so we'll, we'll give him that there. No, I suppose you could turn around, people could turn around and say that uh, Messi's won the, um, the South American Cup. Yeah, listen, we're going to have to leave it there. On days like these, my life in football. Martin O'Neill, thank you so much for Absolutely. coming thank in. Thank you, us. Matt. Really appreciate it. Thank you. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.